So uh, what was this you said a second ago? Uh, be careful who you mock last week. Your sins will find you out. Isn't that what you said just a second ago? Just check it. Just check it. As uh, Sergio so subtly pointed out last week, I'm old. Uh, I'm okay with it, though. I mean, it, it's true that I probably have socks older than some of you that are here today. Um, if any of you are 21 or younger, I have literally slept longer than you have been alive. <laughs> it's just true. I mean, you know, do the math. Uh, but I'm okay with that because the alternative to being old isn't being young. The alternative to being old is being dead. I'm good with being old. Okay? So that doesn't bother me at all. And, and but not only that, I can get older. Sergio can't get any taller. Uh, just, just so you'll know. Just want to put that out there. Uh, continuing with our series about gains. Uh, today we're going to talk about a gain that we don't think of very often. And our topic today is going to be fear. And so how do you gain out of fear? Can you gain anything from experiencing fear? And, and the short answer is yes, and that's what we're going to get into today. Uh, we're going to be camping out on Psalm 27. Uh, it's 14 verses long, and we'll go through that in a few minutes. Uh, but that's what we're going to start out with. You know, those of us that have been doing the, uh, the daily Bible reading for a year, the chronological reading... You know, it seems like it's taken us forever to get through Psalms, and we're still not finished. There's still more to come. Um, but when you read Psalm, it's, David sort of bounces back and forth. One Psalm, it's everything is great. The other Psalm is an OCM. You familiar with an OCM? That's an oh crap moment. Yeah. It's like David goes, oh, God is good. Next, next chapter, oh, I'm going to die. And next chapter, God is good. And the next chapter is, woe is me. And, and it's just this roller coaster ride. Well, Psalm 27 isn't, even, isn't any different uh, other than the fact that it gets them all in there in the same chapter. Okay? And that's what we're going to take a look at today. Now, before we get started too much, I need to let you know uh, something about me that, that a lot of people just don't know. Uh, I don't even think Sergio is aware of this. I am one of the bravest people alive. Some of you are looking like, uh, that's okay. It's okay. How, just how brave are you, Rusty? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you some examples. I am this kind of brave. <laughs> Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead. He's brave, no doubt about it, he is brave. Now, if you're not familiar with The Walking Dead, okay, maybe we'll try this one, maybe you'll relate to this one. Uh, Liam Neeson from Taken, you know. I, I have a particular skill set and I will find you. Uh, <clears throat> or if that still just doesn't resonate with you, then we have Chuck Norris, kind of brave. Just on a regular, everyday kind of day, that's the level of bravery I have, okay? And then when you have those days when something goes wrong and you've got to really step up to the next level, I step up to the next level. 
when things go bad, I may look like Daryl or Liam or Chuck on the outside, but on the inside, me and Barney get real tight, okay, no matter what kind of front I'm putting on. So that's what we're going to sort of talk about today, is how, how do we deal with this fear part? Uh, everybody's afraid of something, right? All of us have something. Uh, every now and then, you might run into somebody who you hear say, well, I'm not afraid of anything. Ever heard of those people? I'm not afraid of anything. Well, those people fall into three categories, okay? Either A, they're a liar. Uh, they may be lying to themselves. They're definitely lying to you. Uh, yeah, they are. They may not admit it, but there's something there that scares them. Uh, two, they could actually have a disorder called Urbach-Weiss disorder, which only a few hundred people in the world at any given time have this disorder. And part of that disorder is you really just don't feel fear. So that's a possibility. Or, and or, three, they're probably going to be dead before long because they're going to do something that they should have been afraid to do and they're going to get themselves killed. Now that I think about it, there is a fourth one, okay? The fourth one falls under, here, hold my beer and watch this, okay? <laughs> that could be where they're coming from. Um, but yeah, we all have fears. And the weird part about fears, well, let me, let me back up. When I was teaching, every now and then I would have a student. It's usually a ninth grade boy who was having a testosterone surge. And he would be in class and say, well, I'm not afraid of anything. I do, come on. I mean, everybody is. I, oh, no, I'm not afraid of anything. I say, okay, let, let's put this to the test. Meet me after school. We'll, the, the street, the main street that went through Oak Ridge, the town I'm from, uh, the town I taught in, uh, was called Oak Ridge Turnpike. It was four lanes of traffic. Uh, the speed limit was 45, which meant that, you know, apparently everybody thought that was the minimum speed, not the maximum speed, because nobody drove 45 down that street. I would tell them, well, come on, just meet me after school. We'll run over here to Oak Ridge Turnpike, and I'll just have you walk across the street with cars coming. So you're going to do that? Well, yeah, I guess. Are you going to wait on the car until it's clear? Well, yeah. No, 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 no. You can't wait till it's clear. You just got to walk across the street. Cars coming both ways. Well, I'm not going to do that. Why not? You're afraid you're going to get hit? You're afraid it's going to hurt? You're, yeah, of course you are. At least I hope you're smart enough to do that. You should be afraid of something. Okay? So, sometimes the fears that we have aren't even rational fears. They don't even make sense. Uh, psychology tells us that a phobia is an irrational fear, right? Now, according to Google, uh, eight common phobias. There we go. There we go. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. Aphidiophobia, fear of snakes. Now, time out. I call time out on that one. Fear of snakes is not an irrational fear. Anybody with me? Can I get an amen on that one? I mean, that, that's just rational. That's just smart. Um, going on, acrophobia, fear of heights. Agoraphobia, the fear of open or crowded spaces. Uh, cynophobia, fear of dogs. Astrophobia, fear of thunder and lightning. Claustrophobia, fear of small spaces. And misophobia, fear of germs. And if you ever look up phobias, there are a 
bunches of phobias about just really bizarre things, but supposedly irrational. Okay? Um, another way that I can prove that we're always afraid of something, everyone's afraid of something, have you ever scared yourself? Mm-hmm, right? Sitting there daydreaming, maybe during one of Sergio's messages. Uh, <laughs> but you're sitting there, sitting there daydreaming, and you ever had one of those daydreams where you fall? And you jump, you scared yourself, seriously? So what do you do? You're sitting around at the house, you're just bored out of your mind, you going, man, I wish I had something to do, I need a little excitement. Oh, I know, I'll scare myself. <laughs> Boom! Oh! You know, you do something like that, I mean, what do you do? I mean, but we do, we scare ourselves. It, it takes very little to scare us at times. So what are we going to do with those fears, though? When we have that fear that comes into our life, God created us. He hardwired us with fear. Okay? To live. It's a certain, part of our survival. We have to have some type of fear. Now, what's the most scared you've ever been in your life? Think about that for a second. I've had some scary times in my life. Uh, Probably one of the most scared times actually happened here in Asheville. Is before I met Jonna. Uh, I have a daughter. She lives in Sophia, North Carolina, which if you haven't heard of it, that's understandable because the only way you know is you see the post office, which is about half the size of this room. That's it. That's the only indication you're in Sophia. Um, it's over next to between Greensboro and Asheboro. Well, Asheville was the halfway point between Oak Ridge and Sophia. And so we would meet, my daughter and I would meet in Asheville just so we could, you know, get together and hang out for the weekend and spend some time together. We get to Asheville one week, weekend, and <clears throat> she wakes up Saturday morning. She says she has a headache. She's not feeling all that good. Okay, but, you know, we're, we're going to go ahead and run around and do some stuff. We leave the hotel. We're out running around. I haven't been doing very, running around very long. And she said, Dad, I'm feeling just, I just feel nauseous. I just, ah. You know, we're in the South. What do you do in the South if you feel nauseous? You go get ginger ale and saltine crackers, right? Uh, the cure for everything. So we hit a Walgreens. We get some ginger ale. We get some saltine crackers. We get back in the car. She nibbles on the crackers, drinks a little ginger ale. We pull out. We hadn't gone 50 yards down the street. She said, Dad, pull over. I pulled over, and she literally fell out of the car throwing up. It would have been nice if she would have fallen all the way out of the car before she started throwing up, but that's not exactly the way it went. Found out the whole new use for the little side pockets on the door. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Probably shouldn't have gone there. So, anyway, she just, she can't quit throwing up. I uh, end up taking her to one of the little urgent care walk-in clinics. Uh, they finally get her back in the back. The doctor comes in to see her. And the doctor asked her a very simple question. He said, you know, what month is it? Well, it was October. My daughter could not pronounce the word October. Okay? Now, you don't know my daughter, but my daughter's a wordsmith. She is incredibly gifted when it comes to words. Writing, creative writing, speaking, just incredibly gifted. To see my daughter, who was probably 23 at that time, I guess, lay there on a table and not be able to put the word October together. 
I can't begin to tell you how scared I was. I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew something was really, really wrong. Well, ended up, the throwing up, she'd become dehydrated. They gave her a bag of fluids. 20 minutes later, she was feeling fine, except she still had a little bit of a headache. Come to find out, she had a migraine. Uh, she had a migraine that triggered the, the nausea and then the chain reaction. And so it passed pretty quickly, but for those few minutes, I was scared out of my mind. We all have or will have those times that really, really scare us. The thought of sitting down and hearing a doctor say, you have cancer. That will scare you. I've been there twice. It scared me both times. Even though the first time the doctor told me, look, I want to tell you two things. One, you have cancer. Two, you're not going to die. So just relax. <laughs> right. <laughs> there was no relaxing. <laughs> you know, the second time, well, you have cancer. But came back as, as a cancer that my oncologist said, well, if you're going to have one, that's a good one to have. <laughs> I'll take it. It's better than having a bad one to have. I mean, you know, so I'll, I'll take it. Okay, thank you. Uh, but still, a whole lot of a whole lot of concern there, right? A lot of fear. Uh, parents, how about this one? This put fear in your heart. Your adolescent child is out with the car. One in the morning, you get a knock on the door. You open the door, and there stands a state trooper and a chaplain. Yeah, or your kid just doesn't come home, or your spouse just doesn't come home. And we could go on and on, right? There are things that cause us a lot of fear. And the whole fear thing causes a lot of confusion for Christians. It's a really confusing topic. And that's why a lot of people really stay away from it. Because just stop and think. I mean, doesn't the Bible say, do not be afraid? It actually says, do not be afraid or fear not, some phrase like that. Uh, according to some resources, I haven't looked it up, my, you know, I haven't counted them myself, but according to some resources, those phrases are used 365 times during the Bible. You know, which obviously corresponds with one day for, one for every day of the year. Or doesn't the Bible say that fear is caused by lack of faith, or at least isn't that what we're taught? That there are any fear is lack of faith? Or is fear a sin? But it can't really be a sin because the Bible also says fear God. So if we're supposed to fear God, but then you get the faith thing, and, and was Jesus ever afraid? We don't think of him being afraid, but the Bible tells us that he experienced every, everything that any other human experiences. So was he ever afraid? And we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. So let's take a look at this Psalm 27 and see what all it says. Okay, We're just going to read through it. Like I said, it's 14 verses, so we'll read through it real quick here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. So what's the situation going on here? Okay. So David and his mighty men, which was a group of 37 men that were with him, were being chased by Saul's army. Saul wanted David dead and sent an army after him. And so David and his men are out in the wilderness, basically running for their lives. Okay? David's obviously not happy about it. And he has to deal with his own fear. And that's what we'll take a look at. But... Really, before we get into that, did anything jump out to you during those 14 verses? Maybe it's just me. When I read those, that chapter, the first thing that jumped out to me was verse 2. Can we bring that one back up? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Excuse me? <laughs> now, I was a school teacher for over 37 years. I coached for close to 20 years. I was an assistant athletic director for another 10 or so years. Um, I was an executive pastor in a couple of different churches. That's probably, I don't know, 15 years total. Uh, the first church I was an executive pastor, uh, I was referred to as the angel of death. No joke, I really was referred to as the angel of death because one of my main jobs was any time that the pastor decided someone needed to be fired, <laughs> uh, he sent me. My job was to go tell people they were fired or relieved from positions or whatever. So during all of that, it's fair to say that I've made a few people mad. More than a few. It's fair to say that I've made some people really, really mad. It would also be fair to say that I have made some people mad enough that they wanted to kill me. Some figuratively, some literally. Fortunately, they haven't succeeded. But they were mad. Not once, not one single time in my lifetime have I ever made somebody so mad, they have come up to me and said, I want to kill you and eat you. 
That's just a whole other level of mad, right? I mean, I, I can't get my mind wrapped around that kind of mad. I've been mad. Uh, I've been really mad at people. A point of confession, there's been some people that I wanted to kill. None of you, you're good, okay? But there have been people I've been that mad at. But even in my maddest moments, I've never thought, I want to eat them. I'm sorry, that's the part that jumped out at me out of the whole chapter. That was the first part that jumped out. Now, maybe David is just speaking poetically here. Maybe he's speaking metaphorically. Okay, that's a real possibility. Uh, but even in that case, it shows you just what kind of level of anger that he felt directed toward him, okay, and the danger that he was in. In verses 1 through 3, David talks a really, really good game. He brings up these phrases, whom shall I fear, whom shall I be afraid, uh, it's they who shall stumble and fall, my heart shall not fear, yet I am confident. Okay? Now there's no doubt that David was brave. Uh, we don't have his exact age when he went up against Goliath. Uh, could have been as young as 16. He probably wasn't 20 because that's the time in the Hebrew nation when, when men went into the army. So he's probably somewhere in there, quite possibly around 16. He goes out, two armies, separate sides of the valley, right? Every day, Goliath, this giant. When we say giant, we mean giant. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. Okay. To put that in perspective, just think, two Sergios. Okay. Uh, hey, he started it. That's all I can say. He started it. He goes out with a sling, a handful of rocks, pegs Goliath in the forehead, drops him, goes and takes Goliath's sword, cuts off Goliath's head when he was 16 years old or something. There's no doubt we're talking about an incredibly brave individual. Military people will tell you that even the bravest of military people, when it comes to going into combat, that even the bravest are afraid. I had one uh, friend of mine who was a retired lieutenant colonel from the Army Rangers who told me, it doesn't matter if it's the first time or if it's the 500th time, you jump out of an airplane, you're going to be scared. Even among the bravest, fear is there. But yet, how many of us have been in that situation where something is scary us and we go, hey, I'm not afraid. I, I'm not afraid, I've got this. But at the same time, we're sort of backing away. I'm not afraid, I'm not scared of you. Well, David's sort of doing the same thing right here because you stop and think, he's giving all these comments. You know, I'm confident, I'm not afraid, who shall I fear, and what's he doing? He's running for his life. He's on the run. David didn't go turn around and look at his, his band of 37 men and go, guys, don't worry. I know there's an army out there chasing us. I, they want to eat me. I don't care. Watch this. I got it. Walks over, wades down into the middle of the army and say, oh, you want to eat me? Buffet is open. Come on. 
Come on, I'll kill you all. No, he's running. He should have been running. Now, if we only focus on whether or not David was afraid or not, or if we only focus on fear itself, then we completely miss the message from Psalm 27 and of the main point for today. Okay? So let's take a look at it. Why did David cry out for help? David didn't want just victory over his enemies. David didn't want to just live. He didn't want to just live through the day. That wasn't the main concern that he had. Take a look at verses 4 through 8. Let me go back over and read those four verses again. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. As a little kid, did something ever scare you? And you ran to mom or dad. Uh, maybe it was thunder, a loud noise. You go flying into the next room, and grab your daddy around the leg, or, or jump up into your daddy's lap or your mom's lap and hold on to them. Why? It was because they were bigger than we were, right? They were stronger. We felt safe in their arms. Now, mom or dad may not have been able to do anything about the noise or the thunder, but even if it kept on, we knew that was a place we wanted to be. That's where we felt safe. The same thing's happening here with David. Okay? The exact same thing. The big thing here is that David asked for deliverance so he can seek God and praise God. He doesn't want to live just so he can go about being, doing his own thing and having his own life and doing whatever he wanted to do. David wanted to live so that he could seek God, so he could see God's face not after he died and went to heaven, but today, that day, and the next day, and the next day. He wanted to be able to run and climb up into his father's lap. Verse 4 says he wanted to inquire. He wanted to be able to ask God questions. He wanted to do it in this life. To be able to have that relationship with God where he could see him face to face and he could talk to him and ask him, I wonder what he would ask. Would he ask? Yeah, I mean, you know, 
you had me kill Goliath and stuff, and now Saul's trying to kill me. Why don't you just make him go away? Now you can wipe out his whole army just at a word. What, what, make him go away, God. I don't think that's what David wanted to ask. How many of you have done this? How many of you have had this thought come through your mind at some point? Or at least heard somebody else say, when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is ask God blank. Had those thoughts? It may be, God, what, why did you allow me to have cancer? God, God, why did you allow this person to die? God, why, why do bad things happen to good people? God, God, why, why? I have all these questions that pop into our mind. Man, the first thing I'm going to ask is, I think we're wrong. I don't think that's what David wanted to ask God. I don't think that's what I'll ask God. I don't think that's what you'll ask God. I think what David probably really wanted to know was, why me? Why me, God? David was a shepherd. At that time, you couldn't get much lower of a job than a shepherd. Think about this. You're away from your family. You're with a bunch of sheep that are not known for their intelligence. Okay? You've got this mass of dumb animals running around out in the wilderness. You're trying to keep them all rounded up quite possibly by yourself. You're trying to keep them from walking over a ledge to get to a piece of grass they see, you know, a little lower on the ledge. You're having to fight off lions and bears. The Bible tells us that David, at 16, had already killed lions and bears. We're not talking with the 30 6 We're talking with a sling and a stick. Okay? He's fought and killed these wild animals. God chose him? To be a king? Why me? Why would God love me? The creator and ruler of the universe. I grew up in a little town of less than a thousand people, and we were the big town in the county. The high school I graduated from, we had 92 in our class. We were bigger than the other three graduating high school classes combined. I grew up in a single-parent household from age eight on. My father died when I was eight. We lived off Social Security checks and Veteran Administration checks. Not only did we live in the trailer park, we were one of the poor families in the trailer park. Why would he love me? Why does he love you? Why does he love us enough to sacrifice his son for us? I mean, I love you all, but I'm telling you right now, if my daughter's standing here and somebody comes in and says, okay, your choice, I can shoot your daughter or all of them, <laughs> say hi to Jesus for me. I don't know that I could do that. But God did. Jesus did. David got it. The Bible says, and in this psalm says that he was a man seeking God's heart. He wanted to be with God. Let me shift to another question for you for a minute. 
Was Jesus ever afraid? Was he ever afraid? I know we just said a minute ago that, you know, Jesus experienced all the human things that humans go through, all the emotions and things, so fear would have been one of it. But does the Bible ever tell us he was afraid? Yes. Let's take a look at Luke. Luke 22, 41 through 44. This is the night before the crucifixion. Christ has gone uh, up to the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. Pretty standard thing, common practice for him. He gets up there, he takes a few of his disciples, they go off from the others a little bit, and he goes off from those. Uh, still probably within earshot, but separated from them. And it says, and he withdrew about a stone's throw, withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The scientific term or medical term for sweating blood is hematidrosis. It happens when somebody is under an incredible amount of stress. The blood capillaries next to uh, the sweat glands burst. The blood leaks into the sweat glands and then out through the sweat pores. There have been times in my life where I feel I have been so stressed, I did not know if I was going to be able to live through the experience. I did not know that if I wasn't going to die just from the stress. I cannot imagine being under any more stress than I was at those times. But even at those times, not once did I even have a little pinkish tinge to my sweat. I cannot imagine the type of agony it takes to get to that point. But Jesus didn't have a little bit of pink sweat. He sweated great drops of blood. He knew what was coming. You know, we don't, about the only time we think about crucifixion is Easter, right? Well, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they're giving credit for having perfected it. Probably the most horrible way you can imagine to die. Christ knew what was coming. Really didn't want to do it. He asked God, God, dude, let this cup, let this cup pass. Let, let's do it another way. Is there any other way that we can do this? But if there isn't, if this is your will, so be it. I'll do it. Here's the point for today. David and Jesus both did the same thing when they were faced with fear. They turned to God. They turned to the Father. They asked for deliverance from the situation, and then they trusted the Father's decision. David's life was spared. Jesus' life was sacrificed. 
After calling out to God, they both stepped into his will for them. Trusting that he knew best, having faith that he knew best, whether it was the answer that they wanted or not. Some of you sitting here today are scared. And rightfully so. Some of you have a fear that's dominating your life. If you're here today, I'm here to tell you, it's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to live in fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us, a, gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. When we're afraid, when we're faced with those situations, we have two choices. Turn to God or blame God. As Christians, Christ followers, we're designed to turn to God, to trust in Him, to have faith in Him, that He knows what He's doing, He knows what is best, that's good enough for us. To call on Him, to climb up in His lap, to wrap our arms around His leg, to have Him strengthen us, be right there with us, and help us through the situation. okay for something to scare us but not to live in fear when something strikes fear into our hearts as Christians we're not called to go from Chuck Norris to Barney Fife we're called to go from Barney Fife to Chuck Norris how can you turn fear into a game turn to God you build your relationship of all the times that I've called on God, of all the times, whether it's been when I'm reading my Bible, when I'm creating things, when I'm, whatever I'm doing, in all the situations, at the pinnacle of my career, I've never been closer to God than at the lowest points and the scariest points in my life. I've prayed a whole lot more when the doctor said, you have cancer, than I ever had when I won state or national championships in coaching. Those were great moments. I would trade all of them in the blink of an eye for that blink of an eye in the Father's presence and having him feel him wrap his arms around me and hold me and say, I'm going to be here with you through this. You're not alone. The opposite of fear is not, hold my beer and watch this. The opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is peace. Faith is the bridge that gets us from fear to peace. May peace be with you.